Who here has ever played Monopoly before? I hope, I hope you know, everybody has played, I assume. Yeah? Okay, so growing up, uh, me and a group of friends would devote ourselves to playing Monopoly you know, just about every Friday night. And we had this one friend, and every time we played, this kid would win. And it started driving us crazy uh, because not only would he win, but, you know, he had a little bit of an attitude about it. And we were like, all right, that's enough. This kid wins every time. He hosts us. He have us he'd have us over, food and drinks. And so me and a couple friends decided, you know what? Every time our friend goes to the bathroom, we're just going to start taking money from the bank. And we're going to start hiding it under our, you know, under the rug or whatever. And we were not going to let this kid win this time. Um, and so he came back, and if you guys know, like, the Monopoly dollars go all the way up to 500, and so all of a sudden, we just had crazy amounts of money to just start being like, yeah, we're, we're buying Boardwalk, all the super expensive properties, we're, we're buying this, we're buying that, and my friend started to get <laughs> really confused. He was like, okay, hold on, something's not right. You only collect $200 when you pass go, and now all of a sudden, all you guys have $10,000 after the third round? How is this happening, right? And so for a little while, he, he was suspicious, but he wasn't fully convinced of what was going on. Um, so eventually, he started demanding for justice, and he was like, hey, th- this isn't right. Like, there's no way. And, and eventually, you know, we, we told him the truth. And we were like, yeah, you know, we, we've been taking money. Um, and again, I was, you know, back in junior high, I was not saved uh, or anything like that. Um, but the point being that my friend had a sense of injustice, that this wasn't fair, this wasn't right, we weren't playing by the rules, and what he had earned wasn't being given to him. And so today, we're going to read about a parable about a widow who isn't being given justice, but Jesus is going to give us perspective on this issue, and you guys are going to learn why, as Christians, we need to turn to God at all times. So with that, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to start the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1. So you guys have been learning about parables um, all throughout the summer, and um, this is the last, last parable um, that we're going to be going over uh, that I'm aware of. And so again, we're going to be starting at verse 1, and this is a super important message. You're going to learn why you should always pray and never lose heart, and that you need to pray always and remain hopeful in God's justice. Super important. So, Right away, we're going to start with verse 1. We're just going to break down the text. It says this, And he, Jesus, told them, his disciples, a parable to the effect that they, always, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So right off the bat in this parable, if you guys have noticed the theme, sometimes in these parables, Jesus doesn't exactly explain what they mean right away. But this is one of those rare situations where Jesus says, this is the point of the parable. It's that way you, you always pray and you don't lose heart right away. He's talking to his disciples, so he's not trying to hide anything from them, right? We know he said previously, um, you know, I tell, I speak in parables so others won't hear, but so way you guys will hear. Well, here he's talking straight to his disciples, says, this is the point. So don't miss the point right away. Always pray and don't lose heart. Verse 2, he's going to set up the parable, right? He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So certain city, the first thought that came to my head was like Star Wars. It's like in a galaxy far, far away, right? It's like this is very real, but it's obviously a hypothetical. So because it's a certain city, Jesus is just going to add some details and just, and just go with it, right? And so 
Um, it says there was a, a certain judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Judges had a big responsibility uh, because in one sense, the judge was kind of like God in the sense that he has one of God's traits, which is that he's supposed to execute justice and do what is right. They have tons of power like God to give the final word. And um, the hope is that they would be good like God in the decree that they, they issue, right? So then verse three says, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him to, coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary or her opponent, right? So what is a widow, just to start? Uh, a widow is a woman who has lost her husband by death and is not remarried. And so widows back in ancient Israel um, needed to be taken care of. Uh, it's unfortunate, but you know, around 2,000 years ago, a woman didn't quite have the same rights they do now, and so they needed men to look after them. And so as soon as a woman lost her husband, lots of her power would dissipate. And so widows were to be taken care of. That was part of the church's job. That was part of the job of judges to help give justice and take care of those who were defenseless. This is similar to orphans, uh, again, those who are fatherless, uh, foreigners. God expects that these people are taken care of by judges who God puts in place. And so, um, just to go a little bit further, here are a couple of verses that God gives on how we were to treat widows, specifically judges. Exodus twenty-two twenty-two says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Deuteronomy twenty-seven nineteen says, Curse be anyone who perverts the justice due to a so sojourner or foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, right? And so also in verse three, it talks about the idea of justice. The widow was, was asking this judge, who neither feared God nor man, for justice. So what do we mean by that? Justice means getting what you earned, right? So here are some examples of something that would be unjust. Um, say that you studied super hard and you got an A on the test. Then, you know, you and your parents opened uh, the online website wherever you view your grades, and the teacher inputted a zero. That would be clearly unjust. You earned that A, and the teacher gave you a grade that did not respond with what you earned, right? Another example would be like if you were told if you work an eight-hour shift, you worked eight hours, you'll get paid $100 for this, for this task. You finish the eight hours, and then you receive only 10 You'd be like, that is not just. The amount of effort that was put in did not match the payment that was given. Now, this is slightly different than something being unfair or unlucky. Um, for example, say that your parents decided they wanted to give your sibling a brand new t-shirt. Well, the sibling didn't exactly earn the t-shirt, so your parents were just being kind, and you, were, you didn't earn the t-shirt either, so it was just unlucky. But it's not like your parents had, you know, owed you. You didn't earn anything in that situation. So justice and unfair are different. And the, the reason that's important that you understand that is this widow, the, the, this widow needed justice. She had the right to property protection and whatever she was asking for. She was not simply pleading for something that was unfair or unlucky. This was a right and a need that she had. So super important that we establish that. Verse 4 um, then says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear, fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down 
by her continual coming. In the book of Matthew, Jesus explains, um, somebody had asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, here's his number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that shows the, the terribleness of the heart of this judge. He not, first commandment, love God. And it says right in the text that he doesn't fear God. And two, love people. It says in the text he doesn't respect man either. So this judge is the definition of, of terrible, right? Of, of not doing his job. And again, we're going to see later that the reason Jesus explains a judge like this is to give a contrast of our Father in heaven and the way he judges much differently. So um, I just want you guys to imagine a scenario like this because um, it's, it's very interesting the way that the widow pleads to the judge for justice. Um, say that I, you know, I have my car keys in my hand, right? And you had to convince me to give you uh, the keys to my car. And, you know, so we're walking around and you try to come up with some appeal. You're like, well, you know, I could really use the car to drive and hang out with my friends. That would be fun. Like, no, no way. I love this car, right? But I want you to imagine you followed me everywhere all the time, showed up to my house, started knocking on my door. You would not leave me alone. You followed me to school and you kept coming to me. I think eventually, even if it took years' time, I'd be like, that's it. I can't handle this. Take it, right? That's essentially what the strategy of the widow was here. Um, this judge did not care, right? He didn't uh, uh, respect man or fear God, so he certainly wouldn't have cared for a, l- a little widow that was coming and bothering him that had no power. But the widow kept knocking, kept asking, and, and what it says in the text, right, if you look at verse 5, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, Right? Almost think about like a boxing match. You're beating down your opponent by continual blows. That's essentially what the widow was doing here with her persistent asking over and over and over. And um, that's how she got her justice. Verse 6, it then says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Right? And we know that the judge gave her justice. And will not God give justice to his elect or Christians, people who have repented and put their faith in Jesus, who cry to him day and night? So here we're going to see, again, the contrast. If this little widow pleading to this judge who did not care got justice, how much more will you get justice when you cry out to our Father in heaven, right? He certainly will. And we keep reading. It says, who cry to him day and night, right? Will he delay long over them? So maybe at this point, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, hmm, if God were to have this court case where God were to give his people justice, wouldn't, wouldn't it have happened by now? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. How can the text say in verse 7, will he delay long over them? And verse 8 further says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But I want you guys to remember this verse in the Bible. It's 2 Peter 3.8, and it says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Right? So, so far it's only been two days in God's eyes since Jesus has risen from the dead. Right? 
And so what you guys need to remember is that it's that the way God sees time and the way that we see time are much different, right? We are finite beings in the sense that we have a starting point. God doesn't have a starting point, right? And so his view of time is completely different. So God will handle this case. I think what Jesus perhaps more is referring to is the fact that when this court case, court case happens for God's people and, and they're crying out to him, the justice will be given immediately and speedily. That court case, it will be immediate. The facts will be brought up and those who are innocent will be, um, will be deemed innocent and those who need justice will be given justice right away in that court case. This one, though, the widow over and over and over, right? Um, and so God's timing different than ours. Again, that's 2 Peter 3.8. Jesus then explains um, in verse 8, he says, I tell you, he will give them justice, justice them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, or when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? Now, when the Son of Man comes is not referring to the rapture, right? Essentially, what the rapture is, is when Christians are taken up and uh, there will be people left on the earth and this is before the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes back down. So Christians go up, but Jesus hasn't come down yet, right? So this is the, that's what it means when it says, when the Son of Man comes, right? Um, will Jesus find faith on the earth at that time? Well, he will, but it might not quite look how it does today. Um, Luke 17.26, this is when Jesus is explaining what it will be like when he comes back. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, or Jesus. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and, Gomor- uh, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so Jesus will find faith on the earth, but it will be rare and few will possess it, right? So today, you know, there are, though still the minority, not most people, there are, um, you know, zealous Christians living repentedly for God but in these days, once many are removed, perhaps there will be, but they're going to have to go through tribulation. They're going to have to go through trials. So that's what Jesus is saying. When I come back, uh, it's going to look a lot different than it does now. Um, and there's lots of implications behind this. So if you're taking notes, um, we're going to go ahead and start with point number one. What do we do with this text? Point number one is this, pray with confidence during hardship. Pray with confidence during hardship. When tragedy strikes, you can learn a lot about a person by what they turn to. Um, you want to know how, what people love? Well, look at where their time, their money, and their energy goes. Look to what they turn to when things get hard. So when things get hard, if you're turning to anything other than God as your first and ultimate source of comfort, that is sin. That is what we call an idol. Um, an idol is something that is, is a gift from God that we have took and, and used for our own purposes. It, it's a gift that we've elevated above the place of God. And so here's where we really have to prone our heart. And um, I'm praying the Holy Spirit would come and convict you 
um, perhaps of, of what these things are that you turn to rather than prayer in your life. Well, have you ever felt like this widow where something unjust has happened to you and, um, and you knew that justice needed to be satisfied? What did you turn to, right? Maybe you're rejected by others. Someone slanders you about your looks. People gossiping behind your back. Maybe you weren't included during family activities or with friends. Was it a, a referee in a sports game that didn't give you a call? Um, perhaps sibling disagreement and, and backlash injustice. So I wonder, do any of you turn to sports? Is that your first option? Right? As soon as things get hard, you know what? I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to take my energy out, and I'm just going to turn to sports. I'm going I'm to pour my heart out there. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to cry out to God. No, no way. Turn to sports. Um, how about throwing a fit, right? And just, just letting your anger go, right? Bible warns us, in your anger, do not sin, right? Okay, well, how about this for you girls? Any makeup tutorials on YouTube, right? You, you, something, something goes wrong and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to browse YouTube. I'm going to find a video that, you know, that's going to give me some temporary um, self, you know, deprivation, Right? How about social media? Is that the first thing you turn to when things get hard? Or do you turn to God in prayer? Video games, right? That's a tempting one. Do you just, you know what? This is hard. I, I need justice. I'm afflicted. I, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go in my room. I'm just going to play video games. How about people? People can take the place of God um, as an idol. Do you complain to your parents overly or your siblings or friends? How about Online shopping or activities uh, where you're removed from others. It could be food, right? Maybe it's not that you're turning to someone or something else, but you just isolate yourself and you go numb. So maybe it's what you're not doing, right? So, so perhaps, you know, I'm just going to go in my room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock myself in there. I'm not going to talk to anyone, right? You're still not praying, right? So... We need to figure out what are we turning to um, rather than prayer. And what we need to do is pray with confidence during hardship. Cry out to God. Um, don't turn to something that may temporarily make you feel better or self-medicate. Um, God has bought your emotions with his blood, and he's paid for the time it takes to pray. He's paid for your life. So pray to God when things get hard. Don't turn to the very things that hurt us in the first place. And certainly, don't turn to God's gifts, but himself. And remember, God has good intentions behind you turning to him. It's that you don't lose heart. It's tempting to be and feel discouraged when justice isn't given immediately. But when we turn to God in prayer, we change, right? And it's that way you don't lose heart. You'll start to develop and see things the way God does. 1 Timothy 5.5 says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. If you are truly a Christian, you will turn to God when left all alone. Now, just to clarify some things, um, what this does not mean is that if you're being bullied um, and you call out to God and, and you know, I'm going to turn to God, I'm just going to cry out to him, that God is going to send a lightning bolt and just zap your problem and just zap your bully. That's not what this means, right? 
That's why we pray with confidence during hardship because we wanted to see things how God sees things, right? Um, trusting that God will take care of it in his time. Um, eternally, God will handle this issue, right? If God did not spare his son Jesus either, then lightning on the bully will not happen. Um, Hebrews 5.7 says this. Um, this is talking about Jesus and how he lived his days on earth. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So in the days of his flesh while he was on earth, this is what he did. He offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Well, that's weird. It says, to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard, but Jesus died, right? Because what Jesus was doing during these times was he, he was trying to adopt the perspective that God had, which was, in eternity, this will be handled, right? And he still prayed with confidence. Emotional, yes. Truthful, yes. But praying, and he knew his Father would answer him. That's why he says in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, Right? He, he's not coming to God saying, oh God, if you're real, if you're out there, this is just, you know, this problem is, is beyond you. No, it's confidence, right? Now you're honest, you still be honest, but this is the heart that God wants us to have, praying with confident, honest faith. Point number two is this. We need to wait on God's timing for justice. Wait on God's timing for justice. Now again, the question you may be asking yourself is, well, why would I pray if I don't see immediate justice? What's the point of praying if the problem isn't immediately going to go away? Well, then why? Why turn to God, right? Well, here's what happens. Um, because perhaps your temptation is, okay, if, if I'm going to pray, the problem's not immediately going to go away, then I should try to make things right myself. I should fix the problem. You know, I, I should talk back to that person. I, I should defend myself. I'll take justice into my own hands, right? That's the temptation if you start thinking that God isn't going to answer you, right? But Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, is it a specific person, place, or thing that you turn to? Or is it the Lord? Is it even yourself? Do you try taking vengeance into your own hands and trying to become God in that sense, right? Or do you trust that God will take care of it and that vengeance belongs to him? Vengeance is not ours, belongs to the Lord. Well, how did Jesus respond when he was being, uh, when he wasn't given justice, right? Jesus went to the cross. He took the punishment for something he never did. He was completely innocent. Jesus wasn't being treated justly. How did Jesus respond? Did, did he try to defend himself? Well, this is what it says in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, the Jews, he gave no answer. He didn't even answer them. He didn't try to defend himself. He waited on God's timing for justice. Then Pilate, the Roman governor, said, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. People will be amazed if you wait on God's timing for justice rather than taking it into your own hands. 
crying out to God is an honorable, noble thing that you'll be rewarded for, and God will give you justice. So, yet again, you may be asking, well, but why should I cry out to God? I mean, is there like a a purpose behind this? Well, the answer is yes, right? When we cry out to God, it's not that we're trying to change God's mind and get him to change the situation. It's that I want you guys to imagine God almost like a river, right? And you're swimming against the current. When, when you pray, all you're doing is surrendering and getting in line with his current. You're no longer fighting against it. And so when we pray, it's not that God has changed in the sense that God is going to change his mind or change his direction. It's that we get changed when we pray. So the importance of prayer is that this will help you develop the perspective that God has on this issue rather than your own. And maybe some of you don't believe that God will bring justice. Well, let me give you a hint. None of God's promises ever fail. It's more likely that you wake up a dog tomorrow than for one of God's promises to ever fail. Joshua 21:45 says, Not one word of all of the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And he will continue to keep his promises toward his people. He will give Christians justice in the end if you keep waiting, trusting in his timing. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 is clear on this. This is what we are to do as Christians. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up. And again, if we take a look at Jesus' case, I'm going back to that Hebrews verse. It says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So Jesus humbled himself under God's mighty hand. He became his servant. He waited on God's timing. And God rewarded him with being the source of eternal salvation. What a promise. Wait on God. Wait on his timing. So the point of this parable is one of comparison It's what we call a lesser to the greater. So if the widow still got justice, even though the widow had no significance in the life of this terrible judge, how much more will God's children get justice? It's almost like this. If you guys were to play a second uh, second grade team in football, I would imagine you guys would crush them, right? How much more could an NFL team crush that group of second graders? Though you, a bunch of untrained, you know, unskilled people at football could crush this group, how much more could an NFL team destroy this group? And it's a similar thing with this situation. If this widow got justice from the judge, who was unrighteous and terrible, how much more will God's children get justice from the Lord? Just a couple of obvious contrasts that come to my head between God and the judge being opposites. Well, as the widow was unknown by this judge, well, we are fully known by God. Um, The widow was unloved by this judge. We are fully loved by God. This judge was beat down by the continual coming of the widow, whereas God is beat down when you don't come to him. Right? That's why the Bible warns us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Turn to God. So wait on God's timing for justice. Point number three is this. 
Anticipate growing opposition to the gospel. Anticipate growing opposition to the gospel. Now this is coming out of verse 8 where we're reading about Jesus' return and and what things are going to be like. And as I had mentioned earlier, faith will be found on the earth, but it will be rare and few will possess it, like Noah and the flood. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God had said, my spirit won't contend with humans forever. I'm going to start over. I'm sending this flood. Humanity is doing terrible, right? So we need to go from the condition the world is in now to it getting much worse, to the condition that Jesus refers to before he comes back. So expect things to get worse, right? There's going to be an increase in violence. There's going to be more crazy laws that we're not even going to believe have been established. There's going to be less defense from authorities who should be giving justice. And now do you see why we must always pray? It's tempting to lose heart if you're so fixated on the world and the way things are going. And that's why Jesus says, always pray so you won't lose heart, right? Super, super important. Another promise of God is that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. And so if you're surprised by the, the, wor- the world growing worse and worse and there being more opposition, perhaps you won't be ready for it. But if you anticipate that the condition of the world is going to get worse, there's going to be more opposition to the gospel, perhaps you will find yourself ready. You'll have a game plan, a battle plan for what do I do? And we know the answer to that. Cry out to the Lord, pray to the Lord, and wait on his timing, right? Um, when Timothy is being written to by Paul, th- this is what Paul says explaining how the things are going to start ending um, with the world. He says this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, teachers, uh, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, kind of like this judge, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Jesus also tells his disciples in Matthew 24 about how the world is going to end. He says, Then they will deliver you up, being the disciples, to tribulation, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away, and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and, many, and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I mean, wow, the love of people will grow cold, even the good parts about them. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus also says in John sixteen thirty three, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. So we need a battle plan for how we're going to fight against the injustice. That's why we have our three points. We need to pray with confidence, wait on God's timing for justice, and anticipate growing opposition to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you have given us yourself to save us from you. 
God, as we reflect on this parable and the hardship that the widow faced, God, I, our prayer is that when things get hard, you would be the one we turn to and look for justice. Nowhere else, Father. Um, not, not your gifts, not your people, um, and, and not even ourselves, but you. You are worthy of that. You have died for that. You have bought it. And so we pray that day and night we would turn to you. And Jesus, we do pray that you would come. We are sitting here waiting for your coming. And so we just pray that during our affliction, we would turn to you, trust in you, and wait on your timing and your justice because you are good and worthy of this, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.